welcome back to Atlanta Diaries, the place where meaningful conversations with breakthrough women come to life. I'm your host Enma Popley and I'm thrilled to embark on season 3 alongside all of you. After a much needed break, back with a renewed energy. I hope to make these conversations even more enriching and meaningful. I do want to express my gratitude to all my supporters and cheerleaders who have introduced me to Atlantas who they believe deserve celebration and whose stories are bound to inspire others. I hope these stories will empower you as you create your own narratives, leaving a lasting impact on the world around you. In case you've missed any episodes from the previous seasons, do visit my website www.enmapopley.com. Your feedback is incredibly valuable to me. Therefore, please don't hesitate to share any suggestions or ideas you may have to further evolve Atlanta Diaries. My guest today is Devita Saraf. Devita started her entrepreneurial journey at the age of 24 by founding the View Group in California, a leader in high-end consumer electronics. View Television has a revenue of 1000 crores. 130 million dollars that has sold more than 3 million televisions till date. Devita is the richest self-made woman in India under 40 according to the Huron report and has been listed among Fortune's top 50 most powerful women in India. In 2029, here's a fun fact, she launched Dynamite by Devita Saraf, the world's first perfume for women in business, the sale proceeds of which were donated to health charities during COVID-19. She was named India's model CEO by Forbes for being the first businesswoman in the world to appear in her brand's advertising campaigns and since then has collaborated with luxury brands worldwide and is unapologetic about her views on business, luxury and success. Hi Devita, a very very warm welcome to the show. Hi and uh, I'm so happy to be here. It means a lot for me to be part of this amazing podcast. Awesome. What a historical moment. Then just a minute before that, Chandrayaan has landed on the moon. Yes. I think all of us here in India are feeling so proud of uh, what our scientists have achieved and it really shows that technology has no bounds. Yeah, and Isro rocks. So, untraditional in more ways than one. But before we jump to that, um how do you feel about this recognition from Forbes? You know, a few years ago, I was told by some of a major e-commerce retailer, who I won't name, that my brand is growing and that we should probably get an actor or a cricketer as a brand ambassador. Now, that time, I would really have to give away almost twenty percent of equity of my company to be able to afford any popular brand ambassador in India. In the meanwhile, we were publishing an ad for a product which. at that time was the first television in india to have netflix so my marketing team took a picture of mine from an article which i had done and published it as a sample in a newspaper ad and we decided to go ahead and print it it became such a furor when people were like oh my god you know this is the daughter of a renowned businesswoman she's modeling in this whatever pink dress in her own ad i think all the conservative uncles and aunties of india probably spat out their morning tea when they saw it i'm sure a lot of friends of mine did not know how to feel about it but interestingly forbes international picked it up and created this article saying india's model ceo 
because I was the first probably business person in the world to come in my own ad in a very formal, nice way. But I also felt that it was an oxymoron, you know, for a lot of people where they felt that women can either be glamorous and beautiful and well-presented or they are smart, nerdy, geeky, etc. And I think this is something that most women are a good combination of beauty and brains. So I would not say that I should be your only Ampi India's only model CEO, but definitely when Forbes gave that recognition, I felt proud to be the first one to get it. I'm sure your early years must have really played a role in shaping this mindset, giving you the gumption to also deal with those naysayers and those uncle and aunties. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of business stories that you hear about are very often rags to riches stories. In my situation, I'll be very honest, it is a riches to more riches story. But a big twist because I come from a family business. My father's also been in the tech industry in his own company separately. But no one I knew around me, no affluent people I know around me actually work. Somehow, you know, I'd see that the women in India have always been very cared for. If the family didn't need financial help, the women would be educated and then be married off and then support this incredibly high potential husband. And I think this is very relevant, whether it's Upper East Side, New York, whether it's London, whether it's Dubai, whether it's New Delhi, Hong Kong, the Thai Thai ladies or Mumbai, where the upper echelons are women, people don't work because technically they don't need to. And very often because it's almost like old royalty when people would be married into each other's kingdoms to build a relationship. And thankfully, I could tell from a younger age that my personality was not such that I wanted to be the wind beneath someone's wings or someone who wants to play the supporting actress to someone's lead role. I always had a great desire to be the star of my own show. And so I figured that instead of following the path of most of the women in the society around me, maybe let me follow the path of the men in the house because they seem to be having all the respect and power and, you know, see where that gets me. Starting my own company and where I am today just seemed like a pipe dream because no one I know did it. I just knew for sure that women are equally if not more smarter than men but a lot of times they've not been given due credit because people think they're the weaker sex and should be on the back end i think for me the biggest part of my journey has been to bash the sort of gender role and do what the men in the house do i love that uh, but wasn't it easier then to just take over from dad wondering where did that risk appetite come from you know, when I was studying in USC in California, I was actually running to join a couple of student organizations. And I was quite confident because I was a rather popular student that in a couple of these organizations, I would get some posts because it was on voting. And much to my own shock and disappointment, I lost. And so for a couple of days, I cried and complained to anyone I would find around me. But after a few days, I realized one thing that no one really invites you to be a king or a queen. 
So a few days later, I went to the dean of business at uh, University of Southern California. And I said, I have an idea to start my own student organization. And I got the blessings and the support of the dean. And I started a student organization called Globus that stood for Global Business Leaders. And that was my first foray into doing something completely of my own, having my own vision, having my own team, registering it. And it became so successful that in the next few years, we had like, you know, the top entrepreneurs, changers of commerce, actresses, like, I don't know, Natalie Portman coming and talking on the entertainment industry because LA was very big on that. We took students to Brazil and Russia and India and China and all these countries. And I think that really inspired me to be an entrepreneur. Because that's when I joined my dad's business. And I said, you know what? If I feel there's a change I need to make, if I feel there is a a new idea that I have, no one is going to come and tell me to implement it. So I will give due credit to my college life in America for A, the opportunity to really like, you know, put me back down and then the opportunity to help me fly high, which then inspired me and become an entrepreneur. That is actually very true, you know, that in the US, you learn to put yourself out there. Exactly. And that's what I love about the US is that people are very, very encouraging. You know, like my professor used to say this, that uh, what makes America successful is that they like a winner. And I think that is very important as an entrepreneur that you surround yourself with people, especially mentors or people senior to you or even your friends who really feel that you know we don't fully understand what you're doing but if you're driven we will support you talking about mentors then so who were mentors then who are mentors now i was very fortunate that the mentors that i had were for example my president at usc president Stephen sample and dr warren bennis who was the foremost authority on leadership which is my favorite subject ever they were the first ones to really get me into this world of business leadership my father, of course, I would say, is still my mentor. I was just hanging right now in my office and I had to tell him I have a very important podcast with Houston. So can you please <laughs> wait for me? So he's someone I talk to 20 times a day. I would also give a lot of credit to my uh, teachers overall. I think, you know, they're different teachers, again, have that sense of selflessness where they want to help you and see you grow and gives them a sense of uh, pride. And I would say I also have a lot of younger people I hang out with these days who are like 23, 24, 25. And I learn so much about a younger generation. So I would not forget to include them in the list of mentors, I would say. Talk to me about your dynamic with your dad. How has he served as a guiding figure and how has that relationship evolved over the years? I think, you know, I would first say that the first person who actually mentored and trained me from the time I was a toddler was probably my grandfather, who, in spite of having 11 grandchildren, I was his favorite by a mile and he used to teach me the basics of business. Then he would make it into like some fun puzzle and I would be like, this is so much more interesting than whatever they're teaching us at school. So he's someone who helped me see myself as someone who is really you know, smart and intelligent and My relationship with my father grew more when I was a teenager. I think he was very keen that his kids join his business. And so we really got that sort of shadowing, as they call it, experience of 
business of following him around. I chose to go to the U.S. to study when I was 18. And when I came back, I was working with him very closely in his business before I started my own. Now, when I started my company, every few weeks, my dad would tell me that this is not America anymore. This is India. And the market here is a lot more conservative, a lot more socialist and low budget. And I said, you wait for it. This market is going to explode. So I spent about eight, nine years taking view from zero to about $5 million and really slowly building into this idea. My father was supportive at that time. He didn't fully get what I was doing. It was a bit more of a hobby. And then at some point, we decided to join forces. And then the company went from $5 million to $125 million within like four years. And that is when the relationship definitely became a lot more of business partners as opposed to being father-daughter or just being, you know, a mentor and a mentee. So as I have made decisions for my career, you know, going to the U.S., coming back, joining him, starting my own thing, growing my own business, I would definitely say that the dynamics with him have changed over the years because there are many areas today, especially as a younger person, we understand the digital world better. We understand the consumer sentiment better, which has allowed me to build equal seniority and respect with him and people his age and his team. And he's very open-minded in that aspect, which is something that I really admire because a lot of times children are in the shadow of a superstar parent. In this case, he could see that I'm bringing something new to the table and there was mutual respect in that way. So I always tell everyone that Atlanta Diary is about not talking about the tip of the iceberg, but what's beneath it, right? So Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what kind of conversations you and your dad had. One of the things that people deal with when they're dealing with their family is that they get very personal and emotional. Hmm. Today, my brother is also there in the group although not directly that's much in my business. But the conversation should not just be like, oh my God, I'm your sister, do this for me. Oh my God, daddy, you know, can you do that for me, etc. Because that undermines your professional ability. So even though I may have a chat with him on the one-hour commute back home on all the gossip of the day, which I think he involuntarily has to listen to, the truth is that even when I wanted to start View, I made a very, very formal business plan, the way I was approaching an investor. And that allowed him to then treat me also equally as an investee. Similarly, we have something called a Saraf confidential meeting regularly, where we sit across the boardroom and discuss what is the profitability that we want to do this year, what's the product mix, what's the marketing ideas, etc. This is something I learned at Harvard Business School, where they said that you have to have three rooms you operate in, the family room, the owner room, and the uh, management room. And you have to build those kind of conversations around that environment. So, of course, sitting at on the dinner table today, we will be talking about Chandrayaan and India's moon landing. But if I have to discuss a plan for promoting my next product, it will be in the boardroom with a presentation and a whiteboard and an agenda very formally. Even if you're working with a family member, give them that kind of formality and respect and structure the way you would to a boss or an investor 
so that they also see you as a potential investee or someone that they want to work with and not for an emotional reason that you're related to them you were very intentional about every action oh absolutely yeah i can say that being organized and structured is almost like a personality fault of mine bringing in these structures and systems and doing things in a formal way gives results like people would be like why would you present a business plan to your dad he's your dad i said yes but i want his money he needs to know where it's going and i think you take a lot of pride in the fact that you own the business 100% right yes so was that also clearly an intention because if dad was the only investor in the company did he not push for a share i think that's very indian culture parents treat their children as if their children are their own property so what property the children own is technically their property i don't think he sees it very differently between you know what belongs to him and me or my brother or anything it's all like what we call it hof hindu undivided family by law but i will say that i really struggled to get an investor i met 60 to 70 investors I have a profitable business, I have a strong brand, I have a product that consumers love, I have a very loyal and nice team. I have great vendor relationships, you know, 4 million customers, everything and nobody gave me a dollar. Wow. Because I think people in India love stereotypes. So they think if a guy who comes from a small town and goes to IIT, you know, is probably going to make a billion dollars for him, but this princess from a family business is probably going to flounder it away which is obviously not true i've been asked in investor meetings of whether i plan to work and if i take the money will i just like never work again and i was like yo i was born rich i choose to work or people tell me on my face that it's a hobby business and i was like yeah i'm the richest woman in india under 40s i would honestly feel bad about it but the truth is most of the investors i met i thought they themselves had not much knowledge of business you know with all the unicorns in india most of them are losing money they just funded because india is a hot growth story they don't seem to have strong business models they have unrealistic expectations that never happen companies are going bankrupt the government is putting founders in jail so it's not like these investors i thought were really smart either So as I say it was a sense of mutual disrespect of when you meet people who don't see the value in you instead of feeling bad about yourself first thing you actually care for the opposite person do you really think his advice matters does he have credibility if he doesn't then who the hell cares for what they think of you you know i really feel bad for people especially women who try and get investor money and i also feel there is a lot of people who just look investable I mean I look at them personally I'm like bro how did you lose so much money it takes talent to burn through so much cash but as i said india is a country of stereotypes so you know you got to see which ones you want to break and not i love your attitude devita <laughs> <laughs> let's shift gears a little bit so combination of being a model and a ceo and challenging traditional perceptions was it a conscious decision to challenge these stereotypes they always say the truth about people always comes out <laughs> and i think i've always been this as gen z would call it this extra personality from a young age so i actually went to, along with business school the went to acting school at usc i took modeling classes with elite models when i was 24 there was never a tomboy it was a total princess total girls girl so being 
that sort of model is really something that's very close to who I am. I hate to say this, but the people who really deserve credit for changing the world model is definitely the Kardashians. Because suddenly people saw a model being associated with, you know, different shapes and sizes and diversity and body types. I will say I started modeling before they came on the scene. But being a model, really loving who I am, really being very proud of myself is something that I've been from a young age. And so parallel to business, I used to, you know, create my own content. I used to, you know, as a tie up with luxury brands like Dior and Burberry, etc. And then when the opportunity for view happened, it came together as this whole model CEO bit. You know, last month I was on the cover of Elle magazine, which is the first businesswoman in the world to be on the cover of a major fashion magazine. Yes, I saw that. And I was telling my team earlier today, this looks like it kind of just happened. But let me tell you, there was an eight-year-old out there looking in front of the mirror, practicing, posing, hoping, praying, trying, thinking that this would be my dream and I would make it happen. So blending these two worlds is something I've spent my life doing. And what I absolutely love about it is not just for my own personal vanity that, hey, I love to be on this cover or something. But younger women today are incredibly inspired by women who, you know, are confident in themselves, who are very positive, who are feminine, along with having smashing careers. What I put out there is seen by so many young girls, maybe guys also, and that inspires them to say, you know what, she's built this business, she's doing all this outreach, which is very authentic. And most importantly, she looks like she's having fun. She's happy. So that really warms my heart when I meet young people and they're like, you know, oh, you gave me the path of how I could be who I wanted to be. For me, the whole model CEO is about that. It's about women embracing the beautiful and intelligent side of themselves. Yeah, I absolutely love that, Devita. I'm going to push this conversation a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I had to do a little role play with you, right? And I'm talking to you as a, say, a 20-year-old coming from another Marwari family, which is super conservative, right? Deep inside, I really want to do this. But I'm also scared. Easier said than done, mm-hmm. you know? Are you not worried about people judging you? How will you answer that young girl? I would tell her only one thing. Make your own money. You know, even if it's 10 rupees or a dollar to begin with, you make your money, you can wear what you want, you can buy what you want, you can do what you want, you can say what you want. No one has a right to point to a woman who is wearing something she bought with her own cash. I don't need a sponsor. I don't need a sugar daddy. I earned this money. I went to the store. I bought it. I wore it. Money is the ultimate statement of power and independence. Very simple. Girl, take your time. Make your own money. No husband, no in-laws, no media, no society is going to say anything to you. Have your money. That will give you all the fuel you need to be independent. 
Today was a very mixed feeling before I got into this call with you, right? So on one hand, we read about Chandrayaan landing and we see the historical moment live. On -hmm. the other hand, I read this article in the Wall Street Journal, which talks about what is holding back India's economic ambition. The article says only 24% women are working despite the country's rapid economic growth, right? It said that one of the biggest reasons for that is the conservative culture in India. Yeah. Where women are not allowed to work. To me, it's also power play, right? If the minute they are going to let the woman work, then she will become another Devita, right? So if this woman gives you the same pushback, do you think my brother out there or my mother out there is going to let me do it? And how would you answer it? Don't get married. I'm going to die. A lot of people ask me this. If you Google my name, it says Devita Saraf. And then the next auto search, it makes it Devita Saraf husband, Devita Saraf boyfriend. And the media in general in India has been incredibly curious to know about my love life. I mean, I've met wonderful men in my life, dated like nicest guys. And I do want to get married someday. But let's be honest, you know, today, if you want to do something big in your life and you think marriage is going to hold you back, don't get married. (laughs) Don't get married till you feel that, listen, I am now on my feet. And don't get married into a family where you know it's conservative or whatever it may be. I don't think there are that many Indian parents today who are pushing their daughters to like, you know, just go sit on the mandap or like turn up at the aisle against their wishes. But women themselves are like, oh, no, no, marriage is my dream. And so they get married at 23, 24. And then it turns to be some kind of Russian roulette of whether the husband and in-laws are going to be encouraging. Honestly, this is terrible advice to give, like basic stuff like, you know, make your own money. But if you are going to focus on marriage above your own career, hell, you're going to have a chance on whether you can grow your career or not. You need to make that choice for yourself. I'm sorry to say this, but you cannot push yourself into some conservative family and then say, oh, you know, guess what? I didn't become Elon Musk. I don't understand women not owning their personal lives. It's not easy. Yeah, 50 people are going to be like, oh my God, what's wrong with her? Yeah, those 50 people's opinion doesn't matter to me. I can tell you this, that every year on my birthday, just before I'd cut a birthday cake, blow out the candles, Everyone was invited. would be like, oh my God, I hope this year you get married. Oh my God, I hope this year you find the guy. What happened? Is everything okay? You know, people in India find marriage to be like this big badge of honor. You can be flunked out of class, but as long as you're married, it's a badge of honor. On my 40th birthday, I was in my house that I bought, having this smashing party, launching my own perfume. And for fun, I invited every guy I've dated, which was... <laughs> And nobody had the balls to tell me, oh my God, look at you, you're not married. Get married when you're sure that the guy is equally a feminist as you are. Get married when you feel that you're on the same path. But don't dream of your wedding, Sabya Sachi Lenga, if you feel that that's not what's going to get me what I want in my life. I've always been a popular girl. I've always had wonderful men never dated guys who are assholes i do have a good judgment of character i just didn't feel i was ready to get married to them but each guy i've dated has really helped me grow in my career and life and as a person i don't understand what is this big tearing hurry in india to get married and have kids you're not gonna die i can promise you this i'm 42 i'm single and i think i breathe the same air and i'm okay
as long as you have people around you who love you, whether it may be your parents, your friends, even your colleagues, whoever you like, as long as you are financially independent, as long as you're healthy, you will survive. A husband is not an oxygen tank. So I'm sorry for all the generation of women, for all these struggle stories of, oh my God, my mother in law I don't give a shit. You have your money, buy your own house. Your husband can't feed himself. Don't give him food for a few days. He's not going to die. Use your money and your power and buy yourself the best damn personal life you can before you go out there in the media and, uh, you know, talk about all your struggles just so that the younger generation of women get more discouraged reaching your story. People come and tell me about like, oh, you know, you wear what you want, you go where you want. I'm like, hell yeah, it's my company. I worked so hard to buy this independence. It's my decision. It's my power. So very sorry if I get very passionate about this subject. But for women who want my sympathy, that their mother-in-law is giving them a hard time, even if you're working or not working or whatever, take your cash, freaking get out. Leave the husband. You can get another one. We have 1.3 billion people around here. But don't mess up your life and blame other people. If your life is messed up, it's your problem. If your husband stopped you, it's your problem. One of the biggest things I've seen women do in business school, very smart. They get married young. They get what they call an MRS degree, find the right man in college. 20 years later, they'll tell the poor guy, that, oh, look at you, because of you, I sacrificed so much for you. I could have become Elon Musk if it wasn't for you. Why are you even guilt tripping that poor chap? I would say for the 25% of women who are working, those who say my mother-in-law stopped me, parents stopped me, husband stopped me, this one stopped me. No. 80% of those women are educated. 80% of those women are smart. 80% of those women are physically able and capable. Buy your independence. If a man is not a plan. Wow. <laughs> You've basically told the woman to take control. And the underlying factor is financial independence. You know, I would also say it's not just having the money. It's the question of having the mindset. You know, there are people in India I've seen very often love playing the victim, love sympathy. But I don't know if your readers fully understand Hindi, but for those who do, I read a nice line. It said, there is a bitch in every bichari. So mm, <laughs> someone <my God. laughs> unnecessarily wants sympathy and wants to play the victim. Honestly, even if they've made the money and they're going out there and like talking about how their mother-in-law treated them. It's not just having the money or financial independence, having the mindset to say, whatever life has thrown at me, I've come out of it as a winner, as a boss, because you cannot be a boss if you have a victim mentality. And for a lot of these women thrive on this kind of sympathy and they get together with their friends and all of all the issues that they had. So for me, more than the money, it's the mindset. So can I push you a little bit harder in this? Please, I love this. I love it too. Okay. So I appreciate everything you've said. But remember, you're also coming from a place of privilege. Yes. Now think of the same environment in a small town in Nasik or Pathankot or, you know, a small city or a small village in uh, the US or Brunei. Um, do you think the same advice will be relevant? You know, there was a McKinsey survey that said, was done by Irina Vittal a couple of years ago, that said that the most affluent women in India don't work. 
So the issue that I see here, the systemic issue is more of a traditional thinking in an affluent family more than where, you know, they're professionals or there's a need for money in the household. Did you know that female infanticide is actually the highest in the most affluent pin codes of India? So when I speak, am I relevant to the girl who is listening in Nasika Patan court? I don't know. But I know the girl who has got the privilege of a roof over her head, of education, of food, of shelter, of love. She has a duty to do something rather than become some trophy wife. There's so many business owners in the country. Where are all their daughters? Why aren't they doing something? If I am not of a similar socioeconomic strata as you, I cannot say that I understand you or you understand me. But there are more than enough women out there who do nothing. And I'm sure you can see it on your Instagram stories. I totally get what you're saying. They are a big percentage of this dismal survey, which we just spoke about in the Wall Street Journal. Huge. You spoke about the fact that Indian goddesses inspire you. You know, when I was in uh, the leadership class with uh, Dr. Warren Bennis and President Stephen Sample, they kept asking us what role models are, role models are. And the role models always used to be Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or, you know, some white, older male CEO. And that's what I thought I had to become when I came back. And so you'd see that in the way I dress or talk or behave was essentially to imagine in my head that a leader meant an older white man. And we associate power with a very different demographic than us. So my dad's brother in uh, San Francisco, my Tauji, who also went to US and is also in the tech business, he told me this and he said, you know what? In India, actually the most important cabinets of finance, defense and knowledge actually lies with the goddesses the men actually have very peripheral roles. So I was fascinated. He said, Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth. Saraswati is the goddess of knowledge. And uh, Durga Devi is the goddess of destruction, but more protection. And you should aspire to be a Devi. And I was so enchanted by that because you know in India, we all have the photos of goddesses on our walls and idols in our home temples. And we always pray to them, but we never think that it is a woman who's providing this to us and not in a way that's a very cutthroat, masculine, Western way, but in a very abundant, resplendent, yet moral way of giving it to you. Whether you ask for knowledge, whether you ask for wealth, whether you ask for protection. And that for me has been what I call my LSD theory, my Lakshmi Saraswati Durga theory of the women who inspire me, resplendent in silk saris and jewels, with multiple hands giving, having a face which is extremely calm, a lot of warmth in their heart and soul, but a lot of, what's the word, like authority or royalty almost in the sort of invisible or big crowns on their head. And that is what a leader has to be. You should be very benevolent in our giving. We should have multiple tasks. At the same time, we have to know that the head that wears a crown is one that is mixed of authority and that kind of care. And I think when you see a goddess and you look at a goddess very closely, you can actually see what a businesswoman should aspire to be. It'll actually be more valuable to you than 
any business book out there. Awesome. This is insightful, actually. You've really expressed it beautifully. So talk to me about your journey as a leader from a team of just five people to now a team of, I think, 300 people. Oh, my God. Yeah, so many people. It's very interesting. You know, I had a very strong vision of my brand. People are not confused on what we do. As they say, leaders create more leaders. So I like building talent in my own team and allowing those people to grow. I'll give an example. There's a guy in my company who started out as a junior janitor that too, because in a store, he used to just sort of, you know, swipe the floor. And today he's a store manager and he's managing like a 6,000 square foot store. There's a guy who is standing at a store at a retailer wearing a t-shirt selling, you know, products for, that time his salary would have been 10,000 rupees, which in today's day and age is like, you know, almost $20 or something. Just last year, he's on a business of $7 million. So I love seeing people grow. Sometimes I can be very strict with them, but like a coach, I love seeing people uh, really come to be the best version of themselves. The challenge that I have now is that how do these people then create the next level of leaders? How do they pick and choose people in their own team, really inspire them, encourage them, grow with them? I think it's really important that our people understand that you have to be secure in who you are and then grow people around you, even if you think that uh, they may know too much or go somewhere else. And then encourage them to share be generous with their knowledge and expertise going forward. So my professor used to tell me this when I was in USC. Clearly, I spent a lot of time in that class. He said, Devita, consider yourself successful. The day you hire someone younger than you, smarter than you, and better looking than you. And at that time, I didn't understand fully what he said. But in that desire to grow people who will then outshine you, is really, I would say, the sign of a good leader. And that's what I keep pushing my team into. You know, that you guys have learned from me. Now it's your job to be me and grow the next level of people. In return, definitely expect their hard work and loyalty. And I think that's very important. That a lot of times people talk about what you can do for your employees, what companies are doing for their employees. And it's very fashionable to talk about like employee welfare. But it's a two-way street. You would not be friends with someone who doesn't care for you in return. So make sure that you also invest in employees who show you that kind of loyalty and hard work and effort, who care for your sentiments, who care for the company's costs, who care for the growth overall. I think uh, that's one policy that I'm very strict about, that if someone's left the company, I don't take them back. And people used to say, yeah, but you know, don't you feel bad when they come back? They must have had some problem." I'm like, did they feel bad when they left me? So if you don't care for my sentiments and emotions, why the hell should I care for yours? So it's very important today to have that benevolence as a leader, to have that genuine drive and interest to make the most of your people. But make sure that overall at large, you also feel that your team cares for you in return. Mm, Interesting. So from the lens of the professor, have you achieved that success? Any impact story or leadership stories? And it's very interesting because I was actually hanging with some young women who was mentoring. And they're like, oh, you know, one thing we like about you is that you're not an insecure person. And mm-hmm. I said, 
thank you it never occurred to me and i think to be an entrepreneur you genuinely have to like yourself and be secure in yourself because entrepreneurship is a very infectious positive energy if you're going to do a business for self esteem purpose or if you're not treating yourself nicely you will not be able to really be that kind of visionary entrepreneur you want to and so a very important part of being a successful business woman is to be very secure and happy in yourself because there will be people who will be more successful and younger and brighter and cooler or whatever than you and you have to have enough groundedness in yourself to probably be inspired by them but not try and put them down which a lot of people automatically do when they see someone as a threat taking away their big moment This has been an amazing and very inspiring and untraditional conversation. <laughs> Share some anecdotes on what kind of naysayers or challenges or setbacks you faced and how did you then overcome them? I will say this one of the most traditional areas that people work with is in distribution. Because what happens is today if you're in marketing or the agency owners are very young and cool, you're working in e-commerce again a younger more woke lot. you're working in product development and all you're still dealing with people who are high tech but across the world the distribution is one area where you have a lot of traditional people and then i'll give you some examples at least in a country like india it's very often people go for a meeting and you know pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised in the way that they are dealt with with the distributor or dealer in front of you and understand that very often for that man he has never dealt with a woman So he's probably more nervous than you are. He's like, "Oh my God, you know, this madam has come from this company. She's wearing a pantsuit. You know, what should I do? Should I shake her hand? Will that be appropriate?" So you have to make sure that if they've never dealt with a woman before, that you set the tone of the meeting. However, women have always been very intuitive, and it's important to know where in your head is it bias or is it intuition. Your intuition will very quickly tell you that is this person just not aware of how to deal with women. or is he an asshole by choice and i have a very simple formula in life i don't deal with assholes so if you feel someone's being disrespectful in the way he speaks to you or your colleague or in his overall perspective i think it's best to tell them like you know thank you goodbye but this is over so this policy stayed with me for a long time where you know we didn't like to work with people who didn't respect us and this is also within our own team that we look at character first So I remember years back there was this uh, young sales girl who was going to meet a distributor. And suddenly all the sales guys were rallying around her saying that you know what when you go we're going to come with you and I'm like what is this noise about why are you you know going with her and they're like no the reputation of this person is not very good. So we don't want her to go alone. And I said you know what if this person does not have a good reputation I don't want his business either. So the tone was very early on set So interestingly I had a meeting a couple of years ago with a distributor in Pune. He was a young fellow but Marwari Jain guy, very traditional community and very arrogant if I may add. And this person in the meeting did not even look at my face while I was speaking to him. He just kind of like you know disregarded a woman. Anyhow, cut to a few months ago I was talking to one of my uh, team members and I said, "Hey, did we sign up with that distributor back then?" And my team said, "No." And I said, "Why? I'm okay with it. I don't care. You know, it's business." and they said no ma'am they treated you with disrespect and we don't want to give business to someone who disrespects our boss we've always as a team rallied around each other been there for each other and always walked away from any deal that would leave us with a bad taste in our mouth there's a choice for everything 
I'm okay if my business is smaller. I'm okay if I do less products. I'm okay if my team is not as big. But we've said no to a lot of people who we personally didn't feel were of good character to be associated. You know, especially with a lot of women complaining of, uh, not complaining because it's a true fact, of complaining of, uh, you know, not being treated nicely in a meeting, etc. Or invoice, you know, any kind of harassment issues. Work with men who are protective and kind and respectful and walk away from deals and find alternatives. Just this morning, I was having coffee on my deck and I was thinking about someone I broke up with years ago. It was a very strange situation because this guy had been chasing for the longest time that he wanted to marry me or something, even though I'd barely met him. And then I thought he seemed like a bit of a crazy fan or something at the end of it. I think people in India these days are very, they love this whole like Shah Rukh Khan movie characters. And uh, I was thinking about it and I said, how would my best self deal with it? You know, at that point, I was visibly shaken. But how would my best self deal with that situation should it occur now? And I got so much clarity standing on my deck of something that happened six or seven years ago that the person just randomly messaged me. And I thought he was just weird. But it just occurred to me that the best way to handle a setback is to sometimes go back and say, how would my best self handle it? And this is a tip that I will definitely say was really well explained when I heard the head of the Israeli Defense Force, where they do post-briefing, where this is what happened, why did it happen, and what are we going to do next time? So setbacks are there everywhere, personal and professional. Analyze it as a team. Think of what you can do next time, because there may be a next time. And if it's happened to you personally, think of how would today or now my best self deal with this situation. Interesting. Do you believe that gender stereotypes still persist? The top businessman in the country was going to receive an award and they announced founder, chairman, CEO of U Technologies. And I go up on stage at the Gateway of India wearing this very resplendent black and gold coach outfit, which I was very proud of. I thought it looked very cool for the event. And I go there all ready to receive this honor. And this very senior business person whose daughter does God knows what was like, oh, are you coming in to receive this on behalf of your father? And I was like, no, I'm the founder. And I was so offended. I wish I had a mic that time. I would have just like said this really loudly so that the audience of thousand students would hear it. I was once taking a flight abroad and there was this older lady, Indian lady, you know, she really wanted to use the restroom. Late night flight, maybe shaken up old lady in a sari. Just before the door opened, this man came in from the other side, pushed her aside and went into the restroom. And she kept telling him that, no, please, I'm in line, I'm in line. He didn't listen to her. He smashed the door on her face. And then she said that, oh, you know, I don't like to see the suffering of others. And I told her, I said, auntie, it's okay if you suffer. But I realized systemically that she's been told about living for others, doing for others, you know, feel other people's pain, but never having the same empathy for herself. She came from a generation where being sacrificial and selfless were the moral values and virtues of a good Indian woman. So what happened is finally when this man came out of this very poor thing, I mean, she was just in such a bad state, she finally moved to the restroom. I literally fired this uncle in front of the entire thing. Plane must have woken up. And he must have been like the 65-year-old man. And I was like, excuse me, it's because of men like you that our country's name is getting spoiled. Haven't you heard of the term ladies first? Just because you're older and man doesn't mean you deserve any respect 
if you don't learn how to give it to people who are younger than you and learn to give it to women your parents may not have taught you manners but i'm teaching you this today and i gave him a big pat in front of everyone let me tell you every damn indian woman on the flight was smiling at me when he got out because no one had the balls to tell this uncle you know that he has to stay in line and so it's very frustrating in india where there's this one sided respect love is two sided hate can be two sided but respect seems to be a one way street in our country oh respect the elders no matter how they treat the younger ones respect the men no matter how they treat women respect the rich even if they don't treat the poor badly respect your boss even if he treats his employees but no respect is a two way street and for me when that man on the stage said oh you know getting it on behalf of your father for me it wasn't about that one man it was about the fact that listen bro you need to get to the program and understand that women today are founders and ceos and if you don't learn to update yourself you are going to go out of business faster than me hmm i think it's time for a lot of old shackles to be broken in this country of people who get undue power and respect and just systemically expected to understand that no it's okay of how young people speak to you if you are wrong and i think it would not be wrong for me to encourage women in india no matter the consequences to defend someone who has not been taught to think of herself before others so tell me devita if you didn't have the safety net and privileges that came with being the daughter of a healthy father do you believe you would have still been able to take the same entrepreneurial leap yes i know definitely the resources the training the opportunity the education abroad the support that i got i would not have got for sure but i do know that in my heart i'm very much an entrepreneur i'm very much a lead from the front person and i'm someone who's incredibly ambitious and so i would have done something of my own maybe entered politics or i don't know been in films or whatever i felt like doing i would definitely have worked towards being successful because i don't think and i tell this to my hr manager all the time there's a lot of things your family can give you they can give you money education love support but only god can give you drive and if you don't have drive your bosses can't pull it out of you and i think i'm very fortunate to be a very self driven person so will you advise young girls today to become entrepreneurs or work i don't think i will tell anyone to do what to do they come and ask me for advice i'll help them find the right answer but i would say that you have to understand what it is that you're good at and build that you know there are a lot of things that i may like there are a lot of things i may enjoy there are a lot of things which are dreams but it's very important to know what you're good at mm. to bring to the table what you have a natural talent for what you can sell what the world needs and when you're in touch with that i think that is what most women need to give them that push you know if you're good at cooking and you want to be a home cook and then you want to start a cooking business you want to like build a bakery or whatever you want I do because you know what you're damn good at because your interests will change your motivations will change your desires will change but who you are at your core what is your natural talent will kind of always stay 
And the more you are in touch with that, the more invincible you will feel when you're out there doing whatever you're doing. That's a great piece of advice. This has been very inspiring and it's been very hard hitting. And I'm sure there'll be many who will resonate with it or there'll be many who will get the encouragement that, okay, it's not that hard if you become intentional about it. It's very hard. Trust me. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm saying it's worth it. And it's worth it, but you have to be bold. You share your story because at the end of the day, in every Aesop's fables and end of every childhood fairy tale story, whatever it may be, there's always like one point that you take away, one moral aspect that stays with you. And if there's one thing that I would tell women across everything is don't lose your femininity. Be powerful, be financially independent, enjoy your life, make a difference, and do it all without losing the woman in you. And I think today's podcast may have had some very strict words from me, like, you know, don't waste your time marrying the wrong guy or getting the wrong mother-in-law or whatever. But a lot of it boils down for me about that, being how to be a woman today is changing in spades. But be a woman, learn from our Davies. And I'm so happy to be doing this chat with you, Edma, because, you know, I feel the narrative really needs to change where so many people in the media are just pitching struggle stories because that's become the replacement of a Sasbaho serial or something. And the news has become a lot more on confirmation bias where people just want to hear something for entertainment and not because they genuinely want to share. And I'm so happy when I heard your podcast and when I met you and that I realized that you really are doing it because you genuinely care. And so it's my honor and privilege to be on this. Thank you very much. These are the conversations which just keep me going and keep telling me that, okay, there's more to cover in Atlanta Diaries. So thank you again, Devita. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this incredible journey with Atlanta Diaries. I have had the privilege of hosting guests who courageously shared their most vulnerable selves with me. And even if only a small segment of these conversations can champion the journey of one person, it will be worth each and every moment. And together, we know we can create an even greater impact. So I do have a humble request for you. If you found value in these episodes, please consider sharing the podcast with your friends, family, and on your social media. I would also love to hear your thoughts and will really appreciate if you could take a moment to leave a review or rating. See you next week for another inspiring journey on Atlanta Diaries.